guys this morning, we are going to be addressing the first military chaplain as he was converted at the cross. And uh, I just want to read a single verse, but actually we're going to be looking at different accounts throughout three of the Gospels. So we piece together nine scenes that led to his conversion. So I ask you to find Matthew 27, verse 54, as we worship by standing in honor of our great and mighty God. Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Not only for you dying upon the cross, but for how you moved in the lives who were there, Lord. Take us back. This morning we've come to worship you. Take us back to the cross. Help us to see, Father, your glory. As we look at these nine scenes, Father, is it any wonder that this soldier who had seen battle and faced terrible tasks saw the Son of God, and recognized Him. Take us back, Lord. Speak to us. And may we all leave here agreeing with this soldier. Surely, this is the Son of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. During the time of Jesus' death in Palestine, up to this point, it was estimated there were 30,000 men who'd been crucified. The Persians actually invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. They knew how to torture a man, how to bring him near death with a skilled use of a whip, and then to crucify him upon a cross, and to brutally watch him suffer and eventually to die. The soldiers probably didn't know a lot about this particular one brought up on criminal charges who would hang up on a cross this day. They were just doing their military duty. They were just being faithful to follow the commands of their superiors. But on this day, they would see a different one who faced death. Probably the first time they encountered Jesus was outside of Pilate's hall, his judgment hall. This one's called a centurion. We don't know his name, but the word centurion tells us that he is a commander of a hundred soldiers. He was a very trusted military leader who was called out for the toughest of assignments. And this was certainly a tough assignment as there was the threat of rioting. And as this one was carrying his cross upon which he'd be crucified, he fell down under the weight of that cross and he had to find someone else to carry the cross for him up to the hill of the skull, the place of crucifixion. 
And in the verse we just read in Matthew's gospel, this centurion and those under his command, those soldiers, saw something different about this man who would lead them to declare him as the Son of God. Thus, they were actually the first evangelists of the crucified Savior. Now, as we look at these nine scenes, uh, be looking in the book of Mark and the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And uh, first, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, verse 22. And as we bounce back and forth, compiling these nine scenes, the first point is this. When the centurion watched Jesus, he saw him in front of Pilate. As Pilate brought forth these charges, and he was taught to carry out the laws of the land. He was taught to follow those laws and to respect those laws and to be a man of character in that regard. But what he saw had to be surprising. His leader, Pilate, instead of looking at Jesus Christ and condemning him as a criminal and deserving of crucifixion, looked at him, we see, and Luke 23, verse 22. His answer, instead of you deserve to die. It says, for the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him in no grounds. Found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and released He watched Pilate and he said, I've checked the evidence. He doesn't deserve to die. And that had to have an impact upon this centurion, this soldier. He'd broken the law in the sight of his leader. Secondly, the second scene is an unusual exchange that happened between Christ and a group of women. Also in Luke chapter 23, there are is this group of women and they're weeping and they're following Jesus because of His imminent death. But they were not so much weeping because of their faith in Him, but because there was a Jewish man who was being tragically murdered by the Romans through crucifixion. And look in Luke 23, 28. Jesus speaks to these ladies. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. What a sight this must have been for this Roman centurion and for the soldiers under his command. Because when they saw a man who had come to be crucified, obviously his thoughts were upon his own pain, his own suffering, his own imminent death. But here in this case, Jesus, who had been tortured, where it says in Isaiah, he was unrecognizable because of the scourging. And yet, instead of thinking about himself, he tells these ladies, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. Weep for your families. Because of what is coming. What an incredible impact that must have had on these soldiers. Dare I say, they had probably never seen a man who was being crucified care nothing about himself, but about the others. 
who were present. Third, the third event that was unusual is recorded Mark chapter 15, verse 23. And it deals with the drink that was offered to our Lord. It says in verse 23, Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This narcotic was given to decrease the pain, to dull the suffering. But Jesus did not want to dull the suffering. Why? Because he had work to do. This was his job. This was why he came for the cross. And he wanted to be able to think clearly. He did not want his words to be slurred. He did not want his mind to not be able to function fully. He had a job and his job was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those soldiers were able to look upon Jesus as he faced death and they were able to see that his job was to win them. Was to show them that there was hope and that hope was the cross. Jesus. This specific, particular death that was to come. He came to be the fulfillment of prophecy. Fourth, Christ offers the soldiers forgiveness at the most amazing time while He was being nailed to the cross. Look back again at Luke 23. And in verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We often think that when Jesus said, forgive them for what they're doing, that He's talking about the religious leaders that were present, those who had been persecuting Him. But those were not the ones that were directly there at the cross. Instead, He's talking to the soldiers. And, and think about the scene. Our Lord Jesus is on the cross and they have the hammer and they have the nails, which are really more like spikes. And they're driving the spikes into His hands and into His feet. And while they do that, He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And in the Greek, in the original language, it is a picture of being repeated over and over. In other words, every time the hammer came down upon Jesus into His hands and to His feet, He would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And even the Romans knew that no Jew would call God Father. There was something different about this man on the cross. I doubt they had ever heard a man say, Father, forgive them. 
probably what they heard were curses as they suffered and as they faced the struggle. By this time, certainly they had to be thinking, who is this man? Who is this man that Pilate declared was innocent? Who is this man who spoke to these women and said, don't worry about me, worry about yourselves? Who is this man who refused to take the wine mixed with myrrh? Who is this man who would say, forgive them, even as we drove the nails into his hands? Fifth, the fifth event is the pleading of one of the criminals to be given entrance into Christ's kingdom. Jesus, He is the one in the center, cross, hanging. And on both sides of Him are criminals. One of the criminals who's been watching Jesus. And certainly He must have been aware of that sign above Jesus' head that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. Luke twenty three forty two. we have His request before our Lord. Jesus Christ. He says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This did not seem like the place you would find a king. Certainly the soldiers must have asked, Sir, watch what he does. Watch him say, does this really look like a place you would find a king? Do you really think a king would be on a cross? But that's not what Jesus said. The broken and bloodied man hanging on the cross. Instead, he said, truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. In other words, he was saying, you're right. I am a king. I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. Today, you will be with me in paradise because you see who I am. And you have reached out for hope in the worst possible place. You're forgiven. Number six. The sixth event is total darkness that sweeps in and covers the land. 2344. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The sixth hour happens to be noon when the sun is at its highest peak, when it's shining its brightest. And it was at that point that darkness fell upon the land. The word translated the land could mean a specific region or it could mean the whole world. There's an interesting letter that's recorded uh, from Pilate to the Roman emperor Tiberius where Tiberius spoke about darkness where he resided and he was not in the land of Israel at the time. And that that darkness lasted from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon. And it's interesting, I think at this point, when darkness came upon the earth, the mood changed. No longer were there jeers. No longer was there mocking. 
But there was silence. You see, the rabbis taught that darkness was a sign of the judgment of God. So I have a feeling that those religious teachers that yelled curses at our Lord slinked away in the darkness out of fear of the experience and what they were seeing. Matter of fact, look at verse 48, a few verses down. It says, When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance. (laughs) They were afraid too, watching these things. There's no doubt in my mind that some of those who went away who were humbled who were afraid of the judgment of God. When the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit of God spoke and those 3,000 came to Christ, it was probably some of those people who had saw the darkness, who had thought about God and His coming and the judgment that they deserved. Have you ever thought about the fact that in Egypt one of the plagues was darkness and that darkness lasted for three days here? We have darkness again. Darkness that lasted three hours. There was darkness. (laughs) There was no light. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 12? He said, "Um, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, there are really just two choices. There's darkness and there's light. And that light is defined in one name. Jesus Christ. The way to the light is through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is darkness and darkness alone. And as darkness covered the earth, as darkness covered the region, as darkness covered the land, and the people went away thinking of judgment. Scene 7. The seventh scene occurs when the centurion hears the cry of agony and abandonment from Jesus Christ. Back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27. Verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been listening to Jesus on the cross. As he addresses God, as he prays, he says, my father, my father, my father. This time he does not address him as my father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, something has changed here. There is for a moment a, a loss of intimacy. What, what has occurred? In Isaiah 53, 5, we're told he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was being pierced. He was being crushed. Second Corinthians five twenty one tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness 
That was what was happening there. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 13 says that he became a curse for us. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Romans 4.25 tells us that Jesus was delivered up because of our transgressions. And in 1 Peter 2.24, we're told that Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross. That centurion, that soldier, he hears Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the question is, did Jesus forget why He was there? Did He lose sight of the plan? Was He unaware of the moment? No. He was fulfilling Psalm 22. A prophecy about this very moment. About the cross. Turn me to Psalm 22. I'm, I'm just going to briefly... It's like I better. I'm behind, aren't I? Psalm uh, 22. I just want to briefly show you how he fulfills that prophecy there on the cross. Verse, well, first we see in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Hmm. Verse 7, he says, All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted away within me. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. You see, Jesus was fully aware of where He was. And He was fully aware of what He was doing. He was fulfilling the prophecy of God that He was the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, who had come for that specific divine purpose so that you and I might have hope. That's what was transpiring. That It was a connection to show that He's the Messiah, that He's the promised one. Number eight. The eighth scene occurs when the centurion hears Christ deliver a shout of completion. The book of John, 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up. Spirit. In the Greek, it's actually actually just one word, but it is translated in English. In Jesus saying, "It is finished," literally means paid in full. He didn't cry out, "I am finished." He cried out, "It is finished. It is completed." And I, I love it. It could be translated, "It is finished," and it will always be finished what a what a strange thing to hear on a dying man's lips but not for us is it to us it's music to the ears of a sinner it is finished and it will always be finished 
Man, if you can't get excited about that, you better check your pulse. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. Uh, Luke 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Notice he moves from calling him God back to calling him Father. Why? Because it's finished. The work is done. The intimacy is restored. Hope is complete for a little old sinner like me and like you. Number nine. Last one. One of the final events the centurion witnessed was an earthquake. Matthew 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. I always want to go into verse 52. Amazing thing with bodies come out of the graves, but right now we're looking at what they witnessed at the cross. Oh, wow. The earth shook and the rocks split and they declared truly this was the Son of God. You see, it all made sense. All that they had witnessed before, it made sense. Truly, this was the Son of God. A Roman soldier, first convert, not the resurrection, but at the death of Christ. As he watched this man, look at um, Luke 23, verse 47. I know there's all this bouncing around here, but I love it. He didn't just say, truly, this was. The Son of God. You know, none of this pious spirit. This was... Man, look at this. This is good stuff. Luke 23, 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely, this was a righteous man. Man, he broke out in praise! Sorry, I just can't help myself. I think about this. Man, it became a worship service right there. That's what happened. That's what transpired. You see, it was there. We had the hallelujahs of the cross from a redeemed man. As they watched Jesus, as he watched the body into my into thy hands, I commit my spirit. So this was the Son of God. The deal was done, the forgiveness was finalized, the sacrifice was offered. Jesus declared it is and it will always be finished. On a hill far away, amen, stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. Where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners is slain. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died... My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Oh, to see the pain written on his face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven. At the cross. 
Have you been to the cross? Have you declared this was the Son of God? Has your heart been filled with praise? Because you understand. It is finished and it will always be finished. If the answer is no, today's a good day to get the salvation, to get the forgiveness, to get the new start. The centurion found it, and so can you. We're going to sing, uh, stand and sing the power of the cross. Thomas is going to lead us. Stand, sing to our Master. And if He calls you to do business at this altar, or right where you are to come to the front before the body of Christ, just say yes to Jesus and, and obey. That's what we want to do today as we worship the one who went to the cross.